0: Welcome into to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. I am your host, Patrick Jones, and I am a former hitting coach in the Baltimore Orioles organization. I now work with hitters in the private sector here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I also help high school baseball players get recruited to play in college. So I've been doing that now for a while, have clients in, in several states, including Canada, and it's, it's been a ton of fun. So I've been able to, to travel across the country and you know, watch them play and, and connect them with, with college coaches. And in today's episode, we have Miller Dawson. Miller is, Miller is currently the recruiting coordinator at Seattle University. He's got a, a great background. Uh, you know, he played professional baseball and he played professional football, played baseball and football in college and just such a humble guy. I mean, he's he's someone who, you know, you, you, can, you can tell you, you really like spending time around him. I was able to meet Millard when I was out in Seattle just this last week, and, uh, you know, he, he carries himself with a, you know, a sense of, of, of confidence, but also just humility, too, and um, fun connecting with him. He has a ton of great content for you in this episode. I'm, I'm so excited to, to hear everyone's feedback on it because uh, you know, no matter who you are, whether you're a coach, a parent, a player, you're going to get some, some type of value out of this episode. So hope you enjoy it. If you haven't, please make sure to go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and write a review. Those two things alone help propel our show into um, you know, another category, which helps us reach more coaches and parents and players, which is the entire purpose of doing this. So head, to, head over to iTunes. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a five-star review and just write a you know, couple sentences on, on how you think this show has, has been able to help you. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Millard Dawson. We now welcome on Miller Dawson, who is the recruiting coordinator at Seattle University. Miller, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on.
0: So I see uh, in college you majored in kinesiology. At the time, what were you hoping to to do with that?
1: Uh, uh, it goes back to uh, back in high school. I, I had a pretty significant high ankle sprain and and. You know, had to do a lot of rehab for it, and and during my rehab time, and you know, talking with all of the physical therapists and the the orthopedic surgeons and and doctors, uh, kind of fell in love with with uh, the rehab aspect, physical therapy aspect. Uh, so I kind of want to go down that avenue and 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 see what that would lead to. I even had uh, you know thoughts of, of being an MA medical assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a couple of different avenues that I thought about uh, with that kinesiology degree.
0: I assume that with coaching and especially baseball, understanding how the body moves, that that's probably helped you throughout your coaching career.
1: Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, just understanding, like you said, how the body moves, um, you know, hitting for the most part of, of what I like to see when I'm dissecting a hitter is is working from the ground up. So just understanding how the body moves in sequence and um, getting the hitter to understand how their body uh, moves and, and works. Uh, is, is a big piece and, and big component of, of really working with a hitter and getting them to understand, you know, what it all takes to be a complete hitter.
0: What are some ways that that you help hitters kind of figure that out and figure out their their own body and, and how it's supposed to move? Are there like certain constraints or or drills that you like to use with with your hitters?
1: I, I think it's a combination of of both, you know, using some constraints, using different type of drills. Uh, and sometimes just stepping back and letting them, you know, be their own hitting coach and, and figure things out for themselves and, you know, always getting feedback. Um, you know, we're very fortunate now that we're in a time where there are all type of, uh, you know, different types of tech that we can use to, to really see, but a lot of people, you know, really understand their body and understand hitting from, from a feel standpoint and, and don't get that much uh, feedback from looking at, you know, stats and and the data. So, I think the field component and, and just really getting them to understand how their body moves from the ground up and just understanding the entire sequence of the swing uh, is really important in, in, you know, helping them become successful hitters.
0: I, well, I definitely want to come back to, to, to hitting and, and kind of pick your brain on that. But I, when I was, you know, researching you and getting ready for this podcast, Uh, I, you know, I stumbled upon, you know, that you played, you know, arena football, you played independent professional baseball. So you were a professional athlete in baseball and football and played baseball and football in college, which is almost unheard of. Um, Can you take me through like that whole process of, of you just deciding to try to, to, to play both at a very high level in college and ended up in professional too?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, now you now you're dating me well, going back to <laughs> 2001 uh back in high school I played um football baseball basketball ran track even dabbled in wrestling a little bit um but I'm just a competitor you know I just love being active and and love you know a competitive nature of sports so um I unfortunately had a very you know going back to that high ankle sprain in college had a, a significant high ankle sprain my senior year of baseball And unfortunately, a lot of schools kind of, you know, backed off a little bit, you know, after that injury and the talks kind of got a little quiet. Um, So uh, the wide receiver coach at at University of Alabama, Birmingham was the only coach that really stayed in contact with me and and kept that relationship going. Um, So I really appreciated that and, and, you know, really had trust in him as a coach uh, you know, with choosing my, my next step in, in the the process of going to college. So decided to walk on for football at UAB, uh, as well as baseball. Uh, so it, it was difficult at the time trying to, trying to balance both. And, you know, with the full load academically and the workouts, the morning workouts, you know, there were, everyone did early morning workouts, five 6 o'clock back then, uh, because they thought it would make you tougher. Uh, but, uh, just balancing everything and and making sure that I still had a social life was very important, but I enjoyed it. Um, you know, was wide receiver on the football team, backup quarterback, uh, center fielder on the baseball team. Um, but didn't work out and decided to, to transfer, uh, to go play for great golf at, uh, university of Montevallo. uh, And that's where I finished my college baseball career. Um, didn't get a call, you know, to get drafted, after my senior season, um, but did get a call about a a month after we played in the College World Series, uh, the D2 World Series, uh, from the Kansas City T-Bones. So, you know, they asked me to fly out. They had just lost their center fielder to the Phillies. So, uh, um, you know, got the call, and two days later, I was starting center fielder for the Kansas City T-Bones in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, Got released after a year um, and decided to go and work out for uh an up-and-coming league uh the the uh gulf coast league down in florida uh, and was drafted by the uh, charlotte county redfish uh played for cecil fielder actually that was a pretty cool story um so um played for cecil fielder for a year got traded to the uh anderson joes in anderson uh, south carolina and then the league folded at the end of that season so you know i figured I would uh, hang around Florida for a while and, and and see what what I could get into as far as uh, the job search. And um, was driving by one day and saw uh, a team practicing football, so stopped by to see what was going on and um, you know got to talking with the the manager of the the squad and he was like, yeah, we're an indoor football team. Um, you play down in Bradenton and you know so I looked at the quarterback and you know I was like, oh okay, all right, I can this is something I can do so tried out the next week. And two weeks later, I was named the starting quarterback and <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history Um named league MVP after the first year. Um It's like a so. movie.
0: It's like, you're, you're talking to, it's like a movie script right now.
1: <laughs> no, but it's, it's just, you know, part of my, you know, competitive nature always just that it's in my DNA, you know, being in sports and being involved in sports in any kind of way. And, you know, I, I'm, very glad that I was able to experience all the things that I was able to experience, meet different people, travel, you know, all across the country through sports. And, you know, now my job as a coach to just, you know, is just to make sure that I can give back, um, you know, to the youth and and to the the college athlete and, and help them learn from the mistakes that I made along the way uh, and, and, and help them, you know, especially from a hitting standpoint, you know, I, I, I always tell people i, I dove into hitting and, and trying to to research and learn as much about you know how to be successful from the hitting standpoint because i struggled as a hitter so i always try to try to make sure that you know they don't make the same mistakes i made and uh just to help them reach and attain up their, their goals of reaching professional baseball one day
0: tell you what man, matt's i've done over 260 of these and that's probably the most interesting background i think i've heard on here that's that was uh quite the story. And I, I loved, uh, I loved it. I mean, it definitely shows that you're a competitor uh, playing multiple sports, which I think is, you know, really cool at that high level level playing for Cecil Fielder, which I mean, that's, I bet there's, a, you have a ton of stories about that. I want to mm-hmm. hit on, you know, what you said about, you know, just from a hitting standpoint about teaching some of the, the players that you work that are working with now, you know, some of your guys on your college team now and just helping them, understand you know some of the mistakes that you made so they don't make them too would you mind sharing like what some of those mistakes you felt like you made back then that you kind of you help make sure guys steer away from
1: yeah no no problem um you know and this may not you know be the case for everyone but you know i was the type of hitter that you know i would listen to what everyone had to say you know to help me with my swing and you know having so many voices you know, to a certain extent would, you know, can cause problems in a swing, you know, because you're trying to be coachable and listen to every coach who comes your way and trying to help you. So, you know, that right there helps me, you know, from a hitting standpoint, you know, at Seattle university, we have a three headed monster uh, with myself, uh, Donnie Harrell and, and uh, Joey Wong uh, working with the hitters. So, you know, it's just really being observant and, and, you know, seeing if the individual is giving a little bit too much information, you know, and it's really important that we all have the same verbiage um, uh, when we are talking to these hitters, and and so they don't get confused uh, because we're very cerebral as a a hitter, and it's very easy to kind of talk your way out of a great plan of hitting and a great approach. Um, So, you know, that's one of the main things that I, I, when I look back on my career, you know, I wish I would have, you know, had the ability to to kind of block out some of the noise so to speak and and um have one you know set of eyes on me one voice helping me out uh so yeah that's one of the things but just having these hitters understand what you know each individual needs something different you know and just really understanding what each individual needs is is really one of the the, the best things that we do now at seattle U. and we had one of the the best offensive seasons uh, since the program returned in 2010, last year, uh, we were very offensive and, you know, had the highest batting average team batting average, uh, you know, in the um, 20 year span. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because some of the the hitters that, you know, I well, first of all, I resonate with what you're saying because I was a little bit of the same way, just you're so open-minded. And it sounds like you were just, if anything too coachable, um, and you sometimes hear talking with, you know, some really like high level, big league hitters, you know, you gotta be a little bit stubborn too. And my, um, uh, my follow-up to, to you is, you know, you want, you don't want hitters to be so coachable, but obviously you want them, you know, they can't just be like, ah, you know what, no coach, I'm not doing that. I'm doing my own thing. How, I mean, how do you go about like, what, what's the right way to approach you as a coach? If you recommend something to a player but they don't necessarily, I wouldn't say agree, but they they feel comfortable doing their own way, right? I'm sure there's a right way and a wrong way to go about that. And I feel that sometimes players don't necessarily know how to do that. So they kind of just ignore you, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, I think first and foremost, there needs to be trust. Uh, you know, if, if the hitter trusts, you know, the information that's being given and they trust you as a coach, uh, they're more acceptable, you know, for any kind of feedback that you may have. Um, like I said, you know, it's really good to have them understand that at times they need to be their own hitting coach. You know, we can't hold their hands the entire time, uh, but just giving them a, a, a proper plan of action, having the resources that they have, you know, we have TrackMan, synergy, uh, blast caps. Each of the hitters have their own blast cap, um, hitting rap Soto hit track. So, this abundance of of resources that they have, and then along with the 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 hitting minds that we have on staff, uh, and the amount of experience that's on the staff, I think that that level of trust first and foremost is is that you know thing that really kind of I would say breaks the ice and has them more open to to what you have to say and how to help them out.
0: Man, it sounds like you guys got all the toys there. I mean, I've I heard every almost every piece of major technology there's ads out there you guys have yeah
1: and and it's kind of gotten that way in the past you know three to five years you know everyone's going more data driven um but keeping a good balance of feel you know that gut feeling and and the data is i think what last year really turned the corner for us as an offense um but yeah just utilizing that that tech is also, you know, what's good for the, for the, for the guys, they all have access to it Uh, with the blast. uh, They're able to go and get swings at 10, 11 PM at night. And the data gets uploaded into the cloud and it comes right to my computer. You know, as soon as they get back into some Wi-Fi, and I'm able to look at their swing um, their rotation, acceleration, their bat hand speed, uh, their swing plane and, and really break down. And, you know, they do a great job of actually coming in the office and, and, asking to look at video and asking to look at the opposing pitcher if we're in season and look at some synergy video uh so you know that's also a a huge reason of why we had the success uh last year is they're not waiting for us to come seek them out to help them out with their swing they're they're coming into our office and, and asking us the right questions and wanting to see game film
0: yeah i think you 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 hit something right there where I think that the technology, it sparks a conversation like with, within like with players and coaches. And it, it really opens them up and, and kind of gets them curious. So I've, I've kind of felt that and experienced that a little bit too, where, you know, may use a blast motion or, you know, you know, whether it be hit tracks or whatever it is. And, you know, they start asking questions on what some of these numbers mean. And, you know, that just sparks a conversation and going back to what you said earlier of that helps them understand who they are as a hitter more and more and more, which is, you know, what we want. Uh, you, you mentioned that they go inside and, you know, late at night, sometimes hit, you know, with the blast motion on. How much do you guys promote just the, the competition within? I was on my flight back from Seattle. I uh, was listening to a podcast, uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I, I like listening to to sometimes people who are outside of baseball and it just kind of gives me different ideas and and ways of looking at things. And one of the things that he had talked about is he tries to what he calls, he tries to gamify everything. So everything he does, it you know, he gamifies it. So it becomes a, a competition, whether it be, you know, reading a script, you know, he wants to read it five seconds faster, you know, and get it down than the time before or whatever it is. Uh, Is there certain things that, you know, you guys make sure that you always try to to gamify or or compete in?
1: I think that uh, in the fall, you know, we, we try to make sure that there is a lot of competition, you know, and that's something that we're trying to change in the culture is being more competitive than what we've been in the past. Because, you know, if you go back and look at our record, when we have the guys who, you know, were just super competitive out of high school and just bred that culture throughout the program, you know, WAC champions you know a lot of guys getting drafted and I kind of think that somehow we kind of lost focus of the competitiveness over a couple of years and you know now we're trying to really get that back in our culture as a program and it's just every single thing that we do you know they have uh what we call hell week uh during the week that we're not allowed to work with them uh in the in the fall during October they're in with our strength coaches and they go through hell week and um you know just every single thing and every single uh, coach that they're with. We just try to make sure, you know, from batting practice to fielding practice to base running, hitting off the tee, hitting in cages, uh, every single aspect of of the practice standpoint. And when they're away from us as well, trying to make sure that they're always competing uh, because, you know, if you breed that in your culture, you know, you're going to be super ready for for when springtime comes around to compete at every aspect of the game.
0: You mentioned about it when you were playing football in college, you know, lifting at 5 30, 6, 6 a.m. in the morning. I feel like now that's not, you know, as you know, everyone talks about, you know, you need sleep, which obviously you do. But I think there is some some sort of element of just in building that confidence, right? Of like when you push yourself through, you know, you mentioned Hell Week right there what's your take on on doing those type of things to to help build confidence within players in that that competition cuz right now it seems that there's people on on completely both sides of the fence right there's the side of the the strength side maybe where you know if you you look at you know the how the body's designed that's not optimal or whatever it is for me personally as a coach, I look at, you know, the mental side, especially as a hitting coach, how important that is and and how that can help you become more confident, you know, and send a sense of accomplishment. I know for me, when I was I played at Xavier University and we we had a hell week too every year. And man, like I just I when I when I finally was able to finish it. I just, my confidence went through the roof. You know, I pushed, I was able to push myself and train for it and everything. So I I think that there's something there, but you being, you know, in it right now in the college game, I mean, would you would you agree with what kind of what I was saying? Or do you think you got to make sure that there's a balance of both?
1: I, I think there's a good balance, um, you know, and going back to the early morning lifts and, and why we started trying to get more competitive in the weight room, um, you know, there was a time where, everyone lifted at five in the morning, you know, it made us more mentally tough, you know, made us, you know, harder. Uh, But what we found is when, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I wasn't going to bed at nine, 10 o'clock at night, you know? So what we found is that the athletes are staying up a lot later, loss of sleep, having to wake up at five for a 6 a.m. workout, the body was starting to break down. So, you know, we went to the afternoon lifts, so, in doing that, we had to make sure that we were, you know making the the weight room sessions a lot more competitive. So you know we're very fortunate to have a, a new staff um, from Oregon State. Our previous staff um, actually uh, cam left to go and and train Olympic athletes. Uh, so that was our previous um, weight room staff. so you know we're we're very fortunate to have them for the the five years that they were here. but you know we're we're lucky to have the new staff coming in who are very very, you know they they like to dive deep into what makes the body um, bigger faster stronger what's the best for each athlete uh, and it's more individualized programs so it's not just cookie cutter so you know we're fortunate to have uh, you know a good staff but uh, we hate to see Cam go but yeah just breeding comp you know competition and a competitive nature in the weight room it it kind of leaks out into the to the field as well
0: um what about lifting during season I mean I I assume you guys still lift during season is it just is it cut down how many times a week you guys do that
1: uh yeah absolutely uh in the fall we're four times a week and then when we're in season uh I wouldn't call it a maintenance phase uh, but it's three times a week and it's more of a pyramid um you know strengthening phase to go along with the the grueling um you know, effects on the body that a, that a long season can have, um, you know, and, and we see it, you know, after a three game series, you know, we usually have our days off on Monday to, to help the body recover. And then we get right back to it on Tuesdays. Um, but, um, yeah, like I said, we, we, we have a great staff, our sports, um, our athletic trainers are, are, you know, at the field with us every single day. So, um, you know, they, it's kind of, uh, a, uh, a, a, all the pieces of the puzzle with the Uh, athletic trainers the weight room staff and the coaches you know if we're all on the same page you know we've seen that the the injuries have been drastically cut down you know and you know there are some you know some you know injuries that come with the sport that you know you just can't you know you know get rid of but you know i've seen that over the past two to three years those injuries have been cut down significantly
0: millard you you had mentioned earlier just about you know we talked about practice talking about you know in season obviously what what does it look like maybe we can talk about you know just in the fall ball like what's a typical practice design like i mean from maybe we'll just stick with like a, a hit from hitters from like a hitting standpoint like what's a typical typical fall ball day like if you're a hitter
1: okay
0: um so
1: in the fall um we're on a quarter system uh so we have about two two and a half weeks uh, with all the players before they start their classroom sessions so uh, we have the ability to do two a days Uh, so you know we may have a a defensive session in the morning and a a offensive session in the afternoon after a lunch break or vice versa but uh, you know we we start with um, you know we've implemented the mental skills uh, in our practice plan every single day you know we've always preached um, you know, hitting is 90% mental, 90, baseball is 90% mental, but how often are we actually practicing uh, the mental skills and the breathing and um, all of that good stuff? So we've implemented, you know, five to 10 minutes. We start every single day with our, our breathing and mental skills work. Uh, thanks to, you know, Joey Wong, who's on staff from Oregon State. You know, he's been a great addition. Um, all of our additions to the staff have been great. Uh, but yeah, we, we start off with mental skills. And then we get into our drill series. Um, so drill series, T series, front toss into machine work, uh, the velo machine, the BP3 machine, uh, because we always want to train velo as much as possible. Um, you know, got to have your eyes and your hands ready to to hit their best bolt. Um, so we always work on machines BP3, and then we go to uh, the field, and we have uh, we usually go. Uh, four to six rounds, but always implementing a session of um, situational swings. Uh, we're really big on situational swings, you know, move them, get them over, hit and run, all that good stuff. Um, and working on our small game before we open up and, and just start with our, you know, five rounds of you know of six in a, in a in a skill or three rounds of five in a skill or something like that. So, you know, it's always starting like I said from the ground up with your T series. And then working on the the chain up the body, um, from their front toss and 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 then to the machine and then out to the field.
0: What's your take on small ball versus hit trying to hit for power? I know if if you look online, everybody's trying to hit for power. But I mean, where would you characterize uh, your team at? I
1: think that you know goes back to each program and you know each you know guy who's out recruiting. You know you need to be recruiting for you know what type of style of, of play that you're gonna have and you know, are you playing a style of play that fits your field? You know, and we have a big park, you know, and and you know, so having that, we don't need to be getting out and, you know, trying to, you know, see how many home runs we can hit, you know, so, you know, we're trying to get the the best athletes. And you know, when I'm out there recruiting, I'm trying to find out, you know, if a guy can get to second base by itself, you know, whether it's you know hitting in the gap for a double or you know, a walk or a hit, you know, one single and then a stolen base. Uh, So that's, that's really important right there. And, you know, always trying to recruit the best athlete available. Uh, So always trying to recruit to, you know, our style of play and, and, you know, how our field plays and how our part plays. Uh, So, you know, that has a lot to do with it right there. So we implement our small game a lot, um, you know, and sometimes we're, we're working on it. During batting practice, sometimes we'll have a group that is just focused on small game for that particular day, and sometimes we implement it into our uh, our hitting sessions.
0: Interesting points there, and I, and I like them all. It's it's you know you talk about yeah that's what I like about college game right is you're recruiting you're able to, to to handpick the players bring them in in the pro game program at least in the minor leagues you get who you get. So it definitely makes sense that, you know, you're recruiting to your home ballpark and, you know, obviously if it's playing big, um, what about like when you say small ball, like making sure, is it important for you as a recruiter, making sure each guy can, can lay down a bunt? Like, is that something, you know, that, that you look for?
1: Uh, I think not necessarily just everyone being able to lay on the bunt, you know, but that is something that we try to develop into their game once they get here because, you know, we're big on development. You know, we don't have the uh, ability to go out and get every single, you know, three, four, you know, five tool player that's available. Uh, So we do a lot of development once the the player is on campus. Uh, So there are some of our guys that, you know, fit the bill of of having a small game. And that's something that they need to work on, you know, 50 percent of the time because that's going to be implemented in their game. Uh, But, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they need to be working on their barrel control. You know, that's what we talk about, the hit and run, the move them, you know, so I think it's, it's, it goes for each individual hitter and what their game has and and what we're going to use them, you know, because how we use them, uh, you know, says a lot about what they're working on as well.
0: Scouting is, is such an art. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult. What, what are some things that, you know, you've learned since you've, you've started scouting and and been on recruiting and, and watching players?
1: Uh, I think it, it's just um, one of the things I've definitely learned is like everyone has a different eye. You know what I may see out of a player, the next coach, you know, next to me may not see that. You know, so it's like I said, it's just understanding what type of player you're trying to bring into your program that fits your overall team culture and, and, and philosophy. Um, but understanding that when you go out to see them, they may have an off date. You know, that's why I like to really take my time through the recruiting process and not just make a a quick decision. You know, I like for myself, I like to see the kid have, you know, 20 to 24 ABs, you know, a a decision because in those 20 to 24 ABs, I'm going to see him fail. I'm going to see him have some success, you know, and I I definitely want to see how he reacts to failure. You know, how, how he, how is he in the dugout with his teammates? How is he after the game with his parents? You know, so, you know, I'm definitely looking at all of those those things when it comes to recruiting standpoint because, you know, that that's all in the makeup of the player and, you know, what type of teammate he is because, you know, a kid may be able to go three for five, but if he's, a you know, a cancer in the dugout and a cancer to the team, you know, want that in, in your program. And we've done a great job here. You know, I've been here in my seventh year and Donnie has always done a great job of, of bringing in not only great kids, but great families, um, you know, because they all have to fit, you know, our program and what we stand
0: for when it comes to morals and values. Do you watch kids as they, I mean, you always hear of, you know, coaches are always watching from the time you get out of, you know, out of the car all the way to the field. So, you know, if if you're having your parents (laughs) carry your bag or you're just, you look sloppy, all that stuff. Is that something that coaches like really look at, or is that just something that people say to get kids to, you know, act like a pro?
1: (laughs) I think it's a little bit of both. (laughs)
0: Uh, I'm not out in the
1: parking lot watching kids uh, (laughs) when I get to the places but I do um, you know for the first uh, time that I am watching a kid I like to be off in the distance and watch and not let them know that I'm there Um, you know just so I can really see how he's going to be you know without you know anybody watching because of course you know the kids and the parents are always looking in the stands to see what scouts are there at at, at each game now Uh, so I, I like to just you know be off you know, somewhere where I can't be seen and just watch the game from there for the first time. Uh, and then, you know, if there's any interest and, in, you know, I'll reach out to the coach and, you know, let the coach know, hey, I want to check this kid out and, you know, just give me the the upcoming schedule. And, you know, we start the relationship there.
0: How you said for position players, it's 20 to 24 at bats, which, That's the most I've seen or I've heard from a college coach say they need to see that many at-bats before they offer them, which is pretty cool and unique from a pitching standpoint. Is there a certain amount of starts or certain amount of games you need to see from him before you're ready to, to make an offer?
1: I think uh, pitching is a little different uh, because you're looking for different things. Um, You know, pitching standpoint, I'm looking, you know, is it a quick arm, you know, the frame and a lot of things, you know, in a recruiting process, it goes off the eye test. You know, you know, a lot of is done, you know, from the first time you see a kid, whether it's, you know, them sending you video or you go into a a game. Um, So, you know, just looking at the shoulders and, you know, look at the frame, the lower half is always a good telltale sign. And, you know, just, you know, does he give out a gas, you know, in the, you know, second or third inning, you know, so those type of things you can really make a a decision on uh, a lot earlier than a hitter uh, because when we're out, watching hitters, you know, there may be a game where they have four or five ABs against someone throwing 76, you know? So yeah. I want to make sure that I come back when he's facing, you know, someone with some good velo and a good secondary pitch and just see how he handles that. So that's why that number may seem a little bit higher because I factor into the opponent that he's facing as well.
0: What about looking for position players who strictly play up the middle? I've heard that several times from college coaches that, you know, they're looking for players who, who can play up the middle because they feel if they can play up the middle, if they're playing up the middle in high school, they got a chance to A, stay there in college or B, if not, then they have the versatility to go in the corners versus if you're just looking at a corner guy in high school. Well, he's just going to be a corner guy in college.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a, a thing in the the coaching world that the money goes up the middle, you know, you know, you want to <laughs> spend some money on a, on a good catcher, shortstop, and center fielder, you know, and, you know, some weekend starters on the bump. Uh, so, you know, just making sure that, you know, they're athletic enough because, you know, like you said, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, let's say I bring in a kid as shortstop, it doesn't work out. Now I know he's athletic enough, has enough range, and he's twitchy enough to be, you know, a third baseman, second baseman outfielder. You know, so we have a little bit of room to play around with him if the bat plays when he comes in in the fall, you know, so you know that's that's why we're looking for athletes going up the middle right there.
0: Is there a certain time like home to first time or sixty time that that you know really catches your eye as well, this guy is probably an up the middle guy or he could potentially be an up the middle guy
1: uh yeah, uh, you know, like I stated earlier with our park being you know how it is. I like my outfielders to be, you know, below, you know, sub six, seven, six, 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 Wow. cover that range. You know, for a shortstop, you know, they can be, you know, six, nine to six, seven, you know, we can get away with that. And, you know, and when it comes to a catcher, you know, that's the last thing I'm looking at, you know, is his speed. So, you know, it's always a plus if he is an athletic enough catcher, you know, we've been blessed over the past couple of years to have a few athletic catchers who are, Around the the six eight you know six seven range right there, so you know we lucked out with that. But yeah, definitely up the middle. The the sixty times really plays a a a definite you know has an impact on the game. What about arm strength for outfielders? <laughs> we were just having a conversation about this as a staff. Um, you know, a, a lot of people they they are hunting outfielders who have strong arms. You know, they want a guy who's ninety plus from the outfield. Um, But my take on it, if, if, if it's an average arm, you know, and he's quick enough to, to cover the ground, we're going to cut down on some of the the throwing lanes there. Um, But I'm definitely wanting a bat and range over an arm, you know, from my outfielders. Um, But then when you look at it, you go back and look at all of the outfielders across the country, how many, how many assists are actually, you know, in the game, you know, so how much of a of a part of the game does it have? Yes, it'll stop some guys from going first to third if you know there's a guy with a with an arm out there, you know, but that all you know depends on it. it's got to be hit right to him, you know.
0: Yeah, it I, I was having a conversation about that uh, a little while ago with someone who is does you know is in the scouting world and for an MLB team, and they they actually brought that up to, to me. And it was the first time I took a step back and I was like, man, that's a, that's a really good point that the arm strength of an outfielder is one of the most overrated things in scouting. And you just said it perfectly, you know, how many assists are there really out there, you know, that that really make end up making a big difference. Um, So that's, yeah, very, very good point there. Is it hard to evaluate an outfielder though, from the, the range standpoint? Cause if you go to a showcase, for example, I mean, you don't really, it's hard to get a, a, a grass on, you know, do they have good reads in the outfield, you know, all that stuff. And even if you go and watch them play, they may not get very many balls. So is that kind of a, can Can that be kind of a crapshoot on, on how good defensively that they are as an outfielder? It
1: is, you know, and, and what we do in a recruiting, you know, in the recruiting world is we're, we're making projections, you know, where do we see this kid three years from now? And then three years from there, you know, is what the scouts are looking for. So, you know, we 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 hit it, you know, 50-50. Sometimes, you know, we're right on and sometimes we don't, but it's about making a good judgment, you know, like I said, the gut has a lot to do with it as well. And you've seen a, a kid, you know, running routes, you've seen the 60 time, you know, you've seen it if you know if there's some twitch there, you know, and and like I said with with Seattle U and us being a mid-major, we're going to get a lot of those guys that don't have the arm strength of an SEC caliber or Pac-12 arm we're going to get a lot of guys who are not as polished, you know, at the plate or on the mound. So our job, um, and I would go as far as to say is our job is more of a development part than those power five schools uh, because we're not getting the polished athlete when, when they step foot on campus as a freshman. So, you know, we're really having to do, you know, our due diligence and and make sure that we are spending enough time on the development piece and, and finding out where those, those, weaknesses are in their game and, and really trying to, to focus on those a lot, as well as continue to hone in on the, on the things that they're doing a, a good job of when they come on
0: campus. Probably more fulfilling that way, honestly, right? I mean, you could go out and just get all of the best players, and just roll the balls out in and play. But, you know, when you're actually recruiting players, then you have to develop them. I'm sure that's probably more fulfilling when you when you do see some success um, than the other way. Oh, no doubt,
1: you know. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our job is to to develop them not only as baseball players. And this is something that I tell families when I sit down with them, you know, I'm going to do my best job and we're going to do our best job as a staff to, to develop, you know, your son as the best baseball player that he can possibly be. But also our job in the development piece is making them the most well-rounded individuals that they could possibly be. So, you know, only the 1%, you know, of the college athlete makes it to professional baseball. So we have to make sure that he's going to reach his, his tipping point as a college athlete and and perform to the best of his ability, but also setting him up for what's going to take place after baseball, you know, and a lot of coaches don't touch on that as that being a, a huge piece of the development process of the, the student athlete as a whole, um, you know, we're not only developed them as a baseball player, we're developed them as a human being as well. How do you go about developing them as a human being? I think it starts from day one, you know, a fall practice, you know, especially when we get the the new guys, incoming freshmen and in the transfers, we go over uh, our team rules and our team values and the university's values. And just making sure that Donnie likes to use the term, stand above the line. Um, you know, you, you have people who are right there, you know, you got your five or six players that always stay above the line, they're always doing the right things, you know, always making it to class, turning their assignments, showing up to practice early, doing what they need to do, always prepared. And then you got those guys that are be- below the line, who are trying to pull those guys who are hovering around the line down. You know, oh I don't I don't want to go to early work today, you know. Uh, I don't want to do my homework. You know, let's go, let's go out and have some fun. Let's go out to the to the bar or whatever. So you all every every program deals with that. You know, and, and it's just about making sure that they're all, you know, understanding the importance of doing the right thing. And, you know, that old cliche is you're only strong is your weakest link. You know, if you got somebody, you know, we we had a player who was a freshman last year who was a very important piece of our offense and, and really didn't do what he needed to do in the classroom and, you know, kind of paid the price for it. And he was ineligible. And he was a huge piece of our offense. And, you know, it really hit him hard and you know now he understands you know that college baseball and being a student athlete isn't all you know just about having fun and playing baseball you know it's about making sure that we're doing the right things at all times so you know and I think he'll be better for it you know learning from those mistakes and and moving forward and he'll hopefully be able to help an incoming freshman down the road in his time here who he sees you know kind of steering off off of the path and and help them out so it's all about just helping them out with their, their core values and, and, you know, keeping our standards as, as a, a Red Hawk program, you know? Absolutely. Do you guys name captains? We didn't name captains last year, but I think we're going to get back to implementing that uh, and having it come from within from the, from the players. Um, just because it means a little bit more uh, coming from your peers than it does from a, a, a coach. Uh, so you know, I think that they'll listen to that voice and, and being more inclined to to follow the lead if it's coming from, you know, a peer group of, of voting on a, a captain as opposed to a coach. Um, so I think we're gonna go back to that uh this this fall of, of having the players name a captain and moving forward. And that takes care of everything that you know happens within the program, what happens on campus when we're not at practice and, you know, everything that falls under that umbrella. Um, so it, it'll, it'll be someone who they, they feel as though is responsible. Uh, and it'll also, you know, be somebody who they feel is their, their a leader.
0: So in the past, the coaches named the captains.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it was uh, voted after fall. Um, and we would name a pitching uh, captain and then uh, a position player. Captain is how we've done it in the past.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, I, that's interesting. Yeah. that That's kind of cool that you guys took a step back in a sense and didn't do it. And then now kind of taking a a step, two steps forward really and having now the players go about naming captains. That's, that's pretty unique. So why I'm just, I'm just more so just curious than anything. Why this past year, you said no captains at all. I'm not sure
1: how it it wasn't a conversation about, we're not going to have captains. I I just think that, with everything, all these moving parts that just kind of fell through the cracks and, you know, we just let it go. And we saw that not having captains, um, I said the issues with the classroom and and not really having anyone that would come, you know, to us, individuals would come to us with any kind of issues and problems. And, you know, we feel as though, you know, if we're telling them that it's their team, we need to put everything back on them you know, as handling, you know, problem solving, handling any kind of internal issues, any kind of classroom issues, and it it helps them grow up as well, you know, we saw that, and you know, in doing that, it it helped them, you know, just be a little bit more responsible, the maturity, you know, went up a little bit more, um, just everything about them as an individual just got a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. No, no question about that. Um... One of the the things that I think also is is important, you know, is just having that you know leadership for up from from the upper class, even if they're not captains or not, and um, you know, I, I definitely think that you know having captains can definitely be a good thing. The last thing I do want to pick your brain about is the transfer portal. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to college coaches this summer, and uh, it's just it feel, it's just driving them crazy. I mean, that you know they're they're just losing players, they're getting players, this and that um do you are you guys utilizing the transfer portal or are you just doing what some schools are doing and you know it's just on a a need be type of basis
1: i would say it's it's more of a need type basis because we've been one of the schools and we've really prided ourselves in not going over the roster limit and not over recruiting and um you know, for whatever we have going out, whether it be graduation draft, or, or you know, we try to bring that exact number in and replace those bodies. And we've done a great job of that. Um, and this is just another thing, another recruiting tool, you know, is how you have to look at it. You know, the the, the recruiting landscape is changing and, you know, in baseball, we have to adapt or, you know, you kind of get left behind and, you know, we're not going to uh, abuse it, you know, and and we're going to use it the right way. Um, because we we we're always trying to do right by our players that we have on the roster as well, you know, and and we're never gonna be a program that pushes anyone out. Um, you know, you've heard the horror stories of of guys getting their their uh offers pulled right before signing day. The guys who are on the roster are getting told, Hey, you need to go find somewhere else to play because you're not gonna play here. And you know, we really pride ourselves and when we shake that parent's hand when we're, you know, on their couch or or they're in the office and we tell them that we're going to take care of their son for the next three to four years. We mean that, you know, so that's why we haven't had any issues or anybody trying to jump in the transfer portal. Like a lot of programs have, you know, I've seen sometimes up to 12, 14 players in the portal, you know, through a given season. So, you know, that, that just shows us that we're doing the right things, you know, by the players and, and keeping our word to the families, uh, first and foremost and, and just making sure that when we do shake mom and Dad's hand and we tell them that we're going to take care of their son
0: you know over the next three or four years we mean that yeah that's that's awesome that's huge uh, last question for you there's kids gonna be kids out there listening to this um, parents coaches they uh, you know obviously all of them want to go play college baseball what what advice would you give them from you know yourself being a recruiting coordinator on just how to go about getting, you know, getting seen, getting recruited? Like, what what should they be focusing on? I feel like there's a million things out there. Uh, you know, what what would be your advice if you had a son in that scenario?
1: Well, um, I would say, you know, take your time. You know, don't chase a, a, a jersey. You know, you know, I ask these kids and the families, what is your end goal? You know, if your end goal is to just go play it school xyz just so i can post it on twitter and get my likes then you know i'll shake your hand and wish you the best of luck but if your ultimate goal is to one day end up playing pro ball you know or, or you know at a high level if it's indie ball or, or affiliated ball then it doesn't really matter where you go if you're good enough you know there are guys that get drafted out of d3 d2 naia d1 every single year juco um so it's this whole mentality of d1 or bust um I, I hate to see families kind of go down that road because they're kind of setting themselves up for failure, because little well, Johnny may not be a division one player, you know. So all of the people in their corner and in their circle, you know, also need to be open and honest with the family as well, you know, and letting them know, hey, you may want to go division one, you know, wherever school that may be, but your talent level is more fit to go D two, D three. And I think once families start doing their research on the roster sizes and the, the commitment sizes for each class. And, and, you know, actually listening to some of the horror stories that are, that are happening right now. And now the transfer portal is, is, is in play now with, with these oversized rosters. I think once they start to be honest with themselves and, and open more doors than just this D one or bus mentality, then I I think that will, will help them out with this process tremendously. And, you know, speaking of me and my fiance, we just had our first son, you know, last uh, 18 months ago. So he's just turned 18 months. Um, Congrats. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Unbelievable experience, man, being a father and, and, you know, going through this journey with, with my fiance has just been amazing. And, and, I'll sidestep for a second and and just speak on the, the coaching standpoint, the, the support that you get from your family when you're in our industry is huge uh, because we're away a lot of the time. And, you know, I had to get back to work, you know, right around two weeks after, you know, she delivered and, and, you know, she was left with a a lot of the duties of, of parenting while I was in season and, you know, traveling for away games and now being the recruiting coordinator of, of the amount of travel that i have now but you know um if she ever listens to this i want to just thank her for every everything all the sacrifices that she's made uh and and her you know unwavering support of of what i i love to do so uh, i love her for that and will always be grateful and you know we've just enjoyed you know raising our son but i was asked you know by a uh Uh, prospect that I was um, on a zoom call with last week uh, the dad asked me why would I send my you know would I send my son to Seattle University and I I told him I was like well now I have to factor that in because I am a father now and I told him that I would not hesitate um, you know coming from the the south and and moving all the way across the country um, was a scary experience and and you know, not knowing what the, the coaching world had to offer me out this way. And I was very fortunate to meet, um, the UW staff at the ABCA, uh, Donegal Fergus, Tanner Swanson, J.K., uh, Billy Boyer. When I, when I was, you know, going through the, the thought process of moving out to the Northwest and, um, they welcomed me with open arms into their Northwest baseball fraternity. And, you know, I'll forever be grateful for how they, they made me feel coming out here, but, uh meeting Donnie Harrell our head coach um you know I've always you know joked with him don't want to make him feel old but you know he's kind of like a father figure to me out here you know you know he just like my dad you know brought me up with the the right um you know values and 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 the right morals you know Donnie preaches that you know on a daily basis to all these guys and you know I, I, I like to say I have I'm I'm very fortunate to have two father figures You know, so I'm I'm just soaking up a lot of knowledge from Donnie. And, and you know, I told that parent, like having Donnie and sitting down with Donnie for the first time I met him, you know, he sat down with me for about an hour and we didn't talk baseball whatsoever. He just wanted to know me as an individual and know me as a person. And, you know, it was between going to UW as a grad manager or Seattle University as a grad manager. And I met with Lindsey Meggs on a Friday and met with Donnie on a Saturday. And right after I met with Donnie, I got on the phone with my folks and I was like, hey, this is a no brainer. Like, I know where I want to be now. Uh, so just him always being that same person, uh, family oriented, always caring about the individual is, is um, what made me become a Red Hawk. And, and, you know, when we're going through this entire recruiting process and, and we meet with these families, they see the same thing and they know what type of of culture that we're breeding uh here at seattle university and and what type of program we're trying to build brick by brick and you know they see it and you know we're starting to get some really good players and and you know with the WAC expanding to you know 13 14 teams now you know and having an at-large bid we're 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 coming we're coming
0: Miller that was awesome and I, I don't i can't think of a better way to to end the episode but uh i can tell you you know i'm all the way in ohio so you know not too far from you know where you were before in georgia but Uh, I know I'm pulling for you and um, man, I just, I appreciate you coming on. appreciate you sharing, you know, your wisdom and your own story. You got, you know, such a unique background, just being able to play football, you know, arena, uh, the story you told about just driving by and, and seeing some, you know, football game and then ended up being the starting quarterback on the arena football team later on, which is incredible. But uh, man, I'm excited to, to follow along. You know, I, I love watching some college baseball. I I think I I like it way more than pro ball just because it's about winning, which, I mean, you played independent baseball, so you know, at the professional level, you know, that's, I know a lot of people who like that too. So, uh, but I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a ton of fun. And um, you know, again, thank you to you.
1: I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Patrick. No problem.